Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate, weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, everyone. My name is David Reed, and welcome to episode 213 of Dial the Gate, the Stargate Oral History Project. Thanks you, thank you so much for uh, being with me for this uh, episode. Bill Nikolai, technician Vern Alberts, and uh, RDA's photo double on Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis is joining us for this episode. I'm really privileged to have him. Before uh, we bring Bill on, if you enjoy Stargate and you want to see more content like this available on YouTube Click the like button. It makes a difference and will continue to help the show uh, grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click subscribe. And if you click the bell icon, the moment a new video drops, you'll get notified of any last-minute guest changes. Uh, please also uh, Clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next uh, uh, several days and, and weeks on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. As this is a uh, live show i want to apologize there's a storm raging outside my window right now so if if i do lose power the the computer is on backup and the uh the internet is a separate system so we'll last a little bit um but that could happen today so i want to apologize in advance uh, if it does uh the moderators i i have uh, tracy and uh anthony in the um in the youtube chat right now to take questions for bill so they can get them over to me and i can then relay those to bill in the second half of the show if you have questions for him in the meantime he's all mine bill nikolai Vern alberts technician alberts uh and uh hello sir thank you coming <laughs> all the way from cheyenne mountain to be here with us <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a total pleasure thank you very much for having me absolutely really and it. and i must ask Vern, how's the wife <laughs> fine sir <laughs> You made my day. That's great. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, she's out shopping right now. Actually, we got some friends coming over for a Barbie. So she's, uh... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that scene first off. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is your shining moment, really, in in, uh, in the pantheon of the, sh of the greatest episode that, uh, that SG-1 created, as far as many people are concerned. What was um, I, I was told? I th I think it was Peter DeLuise that told me, and I may be wrong. That everyone was it was kind of an off week. Like you guys weren't expecting this to be the thing that kind of set, in many respects, SG One's standard. Yeah, I mean, Can you it was tell us it about was, window of opportunity. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, it, it was a really fun episode, and. I think we were way ahead in terms of the, the shooting schedule for that week. And, and so that kind of left the window, a window of opportunity open <laughs> for, uh, for some improvisation. Right. So um, Peter just had people doing uh, crazy things and uh, I lucked out because I got a little tiny acting role there. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. There was uh, Richard at the Potter's wheel and he was doing the happy face with the chips and fries and, and, uh, yeah, it was it was super fun, and then and then the yeah the bicycling down the hallway thing where I got to uh, act surprised uh, was also a lot of fun, um, and that's where where the name Vern came from actually because I had had a little name tag when I was filling in for for Gary Jones occasionally as a technician, and all of a sudden on the, on the name tab I believe is Alberts, and so at, at, when we're doing this little improvisation, Richard said, "So what's uh, what's your first name?" And uh, paying homage to my dad, whose name was Vern, I said, it's it's Vern. Actually, my middle name is Vern, but uh, that's where that comes from. Aww. Yeah, my dad's name is Werner. And, uh, Werner. Vern Werner. <laughs> yeah. I'm just happy I wasn't named, uh, you know, Helmut. Or no, no, no offense <laughs> to any Helmuts out there. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, they're all great guys. Seriously. Yeah, no, I, I would have I loved Wolfgang. 
like wolf. But <laughs> <laughs> probably would have changed my my whole character. <laughs> it's 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 yeah. one of those great sequences, and the show was um, under time. They yeah. that they were they were putting it together in the editing, and they're like, we need more. And out of yeah. that, uh, born I, I remember laughing so hard when I saw this episode for the first time. It's like this is this is what Stargate when you really open up the hood and look in, yeah. look inside at all the parts. It really is a comedy in many. Yeah, aspects. that was the episode where they were, they, were, they were hitting golf balls through the gate, I believe. Yeah. And so, so there was a last minute call to, uh, to get some clubs on set. I can't remember who they called, but yeah, there, there, there were Callaways, I believe. Let's Brad do a bought a new uh, golf set with that. Yeah. I think he took those. I think he took those clubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that was Rick's bike. Was it uh, it was might well have been. No, I think it was his bike, and he had—I think believe he had an old beater that just uh, hung around set, and you know he would use it to cruise around the the, the lot. Uh, if he had to go from the lunch truck to a production meeting, he would just hop on the bike and away he went. So, and of course, yeah. he had a bell. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that. Yeah, I was in the habit of bringing my own bicycle as well to set. I uh, I live, I guess, about seven kilometers from from the bridge, so I would uh, ride my bike most days. Uh, there was one day where I arrived at the bridge only to realize that I was supposed to be at the other studio, the Norco studio, the all otherwise known as the narcolepsy studio, because it was hot and stuffy and people would fall asleep. And yeah. as it happens, Peter DeLuise was, was at the bridge just about to drive to Norco. So he just threw my bike in the back <laughs> of his car or truck or whatever he was driving and away we went. So yeah, there's lots of good memories from uh, bicycles on set. One day I rode out to, um, uh, set near the border so it was a 50 kilometer ride with a 7 a.m start so we're talking 30 miles uh my wife happened to be out of town so i could get up really early like 4 a.m it was probably the bike dark and... yeah it probably was dark actually when i started yeah. and at the end of the day i mean it was i think that was a particularly long day i mean long for stargate we had relatively short days on that show but uh dan shea the stunt coordinator um threw my bike in the back of his truck and, and gave me a ride home at the end of the day. So, wow. yeah. So bicycles, uh, bicycles have a long history with uh, Richard and with Stargate and, and MacGyver actually. So when I, I first worked uh, with Richard, it was on MacGyver. And I remember hearing some great stories about his, uh, his bicycle tour from Minnesota to Alaska and back. So uh, we kind of had some things in common that way. I, I had also ridden to Calgary on my bike and done some other tours. So yeah, bicycles go back a long way with Richard and Stargate and, and MacGyver. Can uh, tell us about um so you first met Richard working on MacGyver? Yes. Um okay. I happened to be at that time working as a historical interpreter um at a place called Fort Langley, which is a national historic site. And I would do school tours and students would say, oh, look, there's MacGyver. And I had no idea who they were talking about. I wasn't watching a lot of network TV at the time. Um, but one day I happened to turn on the TV and there was MacGyver. And I thought, yeah, I do sort of look that guy. I didn't look, look like that guy. I didn't have a mullet, but uh, that was going to come later. And uh, I didn't think too much of it. But then one day at lunch, I was reading the Langley Advance, the little local newspaper. And it said that uh, MacGyver was about to move to Vancouver. I had worked a little bit in film before. I knew they would need a stand-in and perhaps a photo double. So I just cold called Paramount and said, hey, I understand you're moving here. And people tell me I look like MacGyver. And they happened to be just uh, hiring hiring the stand-ins at that time. So Bill Garrity was the, um, yeah. uh, the cinematographer who basically hired me. He took one look at me and he said, yeah, you got the same Neanderthal eyes, deep set, you'll do. <laughs> so, that was what is important to him was be able to light those deep set eyes properly. So that's how I got started in my associations with these two great shows. That's wild. You know, that's so I, the fact that they thought that you, that you looked like him and that it was enough to like instill the seed of that idea. It's like, huh, oh, they're moving to Vancouver. Why that yeah. not make a phone call? You never know. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I mean, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And that's, that's a big thing. That, yeah. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. So, so, uh, so your background is uh, sounds like much like a teacher. So you've had yes, all, okay, yeah. In fact, I, I'm trained as a social studies teacher, history and, and geography, that kind of thing, um, and ESL as well. English is a second language. So, um, Japanese. You spent time in Japan, didn't you? Yes, yeah, seven years in total, two stints. 
So Are you yeah, one of my favorite memories of Japan was working on a TV commercial where I played like a James Bond type character. And uh, the funny thing about that is I had to make up some dialogue in Japanese, actually. No, I made up some English dialogue, and then they gave me a Japanese line to say. And I thought I pronounced it perfectly, but in the end, they dubbed my voice with that of a famous Japanese comedian. And when I first showed this commercial to some of my students, my university students, they just absolutely howled. Like, they were in tears. They were laughing so hard because, uh, you know, here was this this comedian's voice coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and I was standing right in front of them. So, yeah. Oh, that was crazy. a experience, yeah. I love Japan. I spent uh, a few weeks over there a few years ago, and uh, just before the cherry blossoms were were blooming, there were like a couple of trees that decided to open. But man, what a what a what a great place to visit! I can't imagine living there. So I'm guessing you were fluent. No, I wasn't. Unfortunately, I, I'm sad. It's, it's sad to say that I, I learned enough to get around pretty much. Okay. My wife was much more diligent. She's uh, born and raised in, in Vancouver, uh, or actually Kamloops and then Vancouver. And she was a very diligent student. I remember her telling me one day that she suddenly realized how many dental clinics there were in the city that we were living in because she just learned the character for teeth, and so we're driving around suddenly you see it everywhere. Oh, there's dental clinics everywhere, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel comfortable. Um, I was most recently in Japan in February, March, and hi to all the Japanese fans out there. Um, so I can still, you know, get around and, and uh, you know, pay for things and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, I was there on a paragliding trip, so I uh, met lots of interesting folks and, and had lots of adventure when I was there last. Yeah, you. Uh, I've I've got some some video of that from your Instagram to show in just a little bit here. Um, you you enjoy um, uh, living life on the edge. There is something to be said for that that adventuresome spirit for sure. What is it? Let's let's talk about that for a second here before I'll I'll show the the uh, the imagery in a little bit here. What is it like just absolutely sailing on the wind? Yeah. So for those of you who aren't really familiar with it, paragliding is basically it involves an inflatable canopy and you literally run off of a bluff or a mountain you people say jump but i don't jump i take a couple of running steps and away we go and uh, you can stay airborne for hours sometimes I, i've been in the air for up to four hours my bladder generally doesn't let me do that anymore but uh, they have uh, bottles for the purpose <laughs> well actually you know some guys do fly with uh <laughs> with let's just say catheters of some kind. of course so they can are you allowed to drink while you're up there Oh, of course, yeah. You can you can bring snacks and do whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. I I have one great shot uh, that I was doing for a, a, a charity calendar at the college I was working at, uh, where I'm holding a book while I'm flying, and it's called Inside the Sky. Fantastic book by uh, William Langevisha about aviation. And uh, yeah, so you can. I mean, within reason. I mean, you are kind of governed by um, uh, you know Air Tra- Transport Canada rules and regulations. Or in, in the U.S., I guess it would be the FAA. But, uh, yeah, I mean, within reason, you you need to be uh, – yeah, you can do things, but you have to be safe. So, yeah, so what is it like to fly? Well, it's, it's amazing I mean, because you're working the air currents. Uh, if you're close to the ocean, you're working dynamic lift off the ocean. It bounces off the bluff, and you can ride the lift band back and forth for hours uh, as long as the wind is sustained. Um, if you're near the mountains, you're riding warm air bubbles, and you can take yourself up to 9,000, 10,000, 12,000 feet. Uh, you're the highest a hawk up there. You're just a, a fixed wing animal. Yeah, yeah, and yet you're subject to to strong winds. So if the wind is blowing more than say 40 kilometers an hour, you're virtually parked. I mean, you your glider only has a top speed of about 50 kilometers an hour. So uh, you got to be careful with conditions and how they change over time, and so on and so forth. But yeah, living on the edge is it, it is li- literally living on the edge. What I love about it, I mean, I like many things about it, but one of the things I love is it really kind of focuses you and, and you're really in the moment because you're you're not thinking about anything that's going on down below on terra firma. You're you're really thinking about what you're doing at that very moment. And um, you know, that's something that carries through into something like acting. You really need to get into that mindset of being in the moment. And uh, it's very difficult to do sometimes, especially when you're on set with 40 or 50 crew members around, the pressure is on. Um, you need to come through. So, yeah, paragliding kind of gives me that same sort of sense, but uh, because of self-preservation. <laughs> right. You have your life I in really your hands. Do have to it's you and God up there, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wild. 
tell me about um, your time on MacGyver. What was that experience like? What are your What are some of your your uh, favorite memories from from that production? Uh, well, um, did you know Don while you were working on it? Don Davis, yes, yeah. In fact, he was also a professor at UBC, uh, the university I graduated from. He was, I believe, he was uh, teaching scene. You think about this uh, scene design, I believe, actually. So he was responsible for some of the big sets that were that were created for the bigger productions out at the university. Um, and then I'm not really sure how he got involved in the show, but um, Dana Elkar stunt double. Yes, I think initially photo doubles. So okay. Yeah, yeah. Difference between photo doubles and stunt doubles is, uh, and I was Richard's photo double um, on on MacGyver as well. Uh, you, you, if as a photo double, you're getting the camera behind you, uh, you know, taking shots of the back of your head as you're driving MacGyver's Jeep or, uh, or close-ups of your hands as you're, you know, playing with Swiss Army knife and the, and the duct tape and, and, and so on. Uh, stunt double, of course, you're doing something that's more dangerous, more yeah. precarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a fascinating experience for me. And I, I, I have a lot of photographs actually that I took on set. It was back in the day where there, there was no internet, there, there, there were no social media, and so producers were not as concerned about uh, images and stuff like that being spread around before the show had even hit the airwaves. So um, I was I was fortunate in the sense that I would bring my 35 millimeter SLR with me for the entire season. I only worked one full season on that show. I worked a little bit as a photo double subsequently. The, there was a writer's strike at the tail end of that season. Uh, and so I took a job as a film technician at, at UBC. I'm pointing behind me because that's exactly where the university is. <laughs> And uh, so I was only there for one season, but I did have that camera with me all the time. And I took mostly crew photos, but I've got lots of great shots of Richard and some of the co-stars. And uh, um, one of them was Alyssa Davalos, I believe. There was a, a two-part episode called Love Lost, which I think was the uh, the first two episodes of, uh, I guess it would have been season, let me think about this, season three, I guess. The first season they were in Vancouver. So that's kind of fun. I think I have that that binder up here in my my shelf somewhere. I see it right up there in the corner. <laughs> yeah, season three. That's yeah. Great. Maybe I should just grab that for a second. Let me just sure. see if that'll work. Go ahead. The screen. Absolutely. Uh, I love show and tell. Wow. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah. So can we see any? Yes, of that? we can. A lot of reflection. There's a big explosion. Wow. Uh, so this is all shot with just, you know, 35 millimeter film, right? So, yeah. Um, here's Richard with a flamethrower, I believe. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So there's, uh, some great makeup work, which I think already at that point was the artistry of Jan Newman. Oh, right Jan. There. Yes. She was on MacGyver. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are scars on the back of, uh, Bruce McGill, um, who oh. I can't remember the character's name. What was the, he was the, uh, MacGyver sidekick or, uh, see here. Yeah. Uh, well, in fact, here's Bruce in the same episode. Uh, can we see Jack that? Jack Dalton. Jack Dalton, yes. So he's okay, tied to a stake yeah. there, tied to a stake. So, and there's the scars wow. on his back and getting whipped. Um, and then we've got, uh, what else we got there? Sorry. Uh, we've got some great shots here. Here's a couple of nice shots of Richard with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Ah, that was yeah, a big yeah. part of both so, of those shows. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I've never spread these around the internet because, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of individuals here who may not appreciate um, having sure. these images spread around. But uh, here's some stuff uh, that was shot at a local ski area. Um, and this episode was called, uh, you know, so, oh, GX1, GX1. So, um that hot air balloon the hot air balloon yes and that was actually suspended from a a crane in the parking lot of the <laughs> yeah and then i think i'm in one of those shots there standing in with two other stand-ins two other second teamers so wow. yeah so these are you know there are lots of those moments from that particular season that are kind of captured in in uh in some of these um some of these photos well let me switch uh, over nope. here give me just a second while i while i switch my my system over here i want to um uh share what you uh sent over with me here give me just one second to do that it's always so tricky to do this live but i want you to be able to see 
um, the content as I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I could do a screen share as well. I think I have some photos. Probably the same. Actually, there's a few other ones here from Stargate. Yeah, I got the ones that you posted. Let me share this here and share this here and here. Okay. Just one second. Sure. Okay, David, don't get it together. Okay, there we go. Can you see that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. Yes. That was. Tell me about about these. Yeah, so this was a photo double. scene from i don't recall the episode but it was macgyver we were shooting um in north vancouver which is pretty wild territory and there's a there's a a a river there i believe it was the it was lynn maybe lynn river and um richard is in a biohazard suit because there was obviously some sort of biohazard involved in this episode and and i was photo doubling him uh with the headgear on (laughs) <laughs> and then also flying around in a helicopter. So it was my first ever ride in a helicopter. So that was a, <laughs> that was a great memory. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And oh, there we are. Okay. That's the hockey episode. So uh, usually once a year, Richard would do, oh, Richard, I should say the MacGyver folks would, would, would do one hockey episode because he mm-hmm. grew up in Minnesota, played ice hockey. And so uh, there we are out at the University of British Columbia in the rink there. And this is the first episode that Dan Shea ever worked on, I believe. He really? Was the, yeah, so he was the coordinator. There were a bunch of uh, varsity level hockey players who played on this uh, on this episode, and so Dan uh, not only coordinated that, but he also um, was Richard's uh, double and stunt double on this episode. It's kind of an inter- interesting junction in both of our lives. So at this point, Dan had been working, I believe, as a you know, correct me, I'm sure when I see him in the neighborhood here, because he only lives a few blocks from me. But uh, he had been working as a fitness uh, instructor slash coordinator at a local community center. And this is, his, I believe, his first episode on, on MacGyver. So had it not been for the fact that Dan shoots right, as does Richard, <laughs> and I shoot left, there's a possibility that at this point, um, maybe our careers would have diverged radically. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in any, any, any way uh, regretting it. Well, so no. here we are. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, it's just those little twists of fate. Yeah, exactly. Um, and here's, uh, here's the, okay. This is uh, obviously in front of those movie uh, production company trailers. And it's it's two dummies posing together. <laughs> <laughs> so I was photo doubling Richard there, and they were also, uh, I believe, throwing him off of a big ship or something. And at some point, they elected to use an actual like dummy for that. So wow, yeah, that's what that's all about. I think I would think that there would be an issue with those. Is how do you keep it from like flying like end over end to be okay okay that's clearly not a person i think you would have to like do it a few different times in order to make it get the the because it catches air and then you know yeah. it's, it's a few it's tricky bill murray did the same thing in groundhog day for those wider shots oh, is that right? jumping off the the clock tower they used the dummy so yeah, yeah. it's wild but the yeah. likeness bill <laughs> is striking i must say <laughs> to the dummy that's right i look like a real dummy <laughs> let's look at some stargate photos sure yeah, that says Vern Alberts. Uh, I don't recall what episode. That may have been Ergo, which is one of my favorite episodes, uh, mainly because I got the chance to work with uh, Dom DeLuise. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had much to say in that episode. I never did on on, on Stargate, but uh, uh, Dom was just such a sweet, sweet man, and we had some great conversations. He had an interest in Japanese, so we had lots of talks about that. But yeah, uh, that's that's Vern Alberts. I can't uh, imagine what it was like for for Peter to have his dad on set playing, you know, the, the, the titular role of that episode. Um, yeah. That had to have been just really, really uh, a milestone for him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could, I could see it every day on, in, in Peter's demeanor and, and, and Dom also was delighted to be there. And, and as I said, just a really, really sweet person to, to be around, to work with. So that's a, that's a big highlight for me. Yeah, there he is again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this was, uh, I believe this was Double Jeopardy. Double Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, of course, Richard on the right, Dan Shea in the middle, and then, uh, yeah, so 
Yeah, in that episode, I ended up wearing a lot of dots on my face. I'll have um, one of those. Yeah, and so they were doing some CGI stuff where uh, they had Richard playing against himself. Yep. Um, so when it was actually shot, uh, it was me, but um, you know, through the magic of, of CGI, etc. And this is we're talking about two. Th- yeah, there we are. Um, yeah, through through the, through the magic that was being rendered there, they were able to in the finished product put Richard where where i am so you would see t- him wrestling with himself in the scene. It but it was, it was yes but it was it was a really great experience for me because there was dialogue there that uh was going on between the two richards and so i had to actually deliver that dialogue in the scene um to richard and that was one of the great things that i, I one of the things i loved about working on stargate was that as a stand-in mm. and even as a photo double i would frequently get the opportunity to to do off-camera lines for other actors. And it's something that doesn't happen very much anymore. And part of it is union rules. I mean, it was a little looser back then. And so uh, it was just a great training experience for me uh, to be kind of put on the spot a little bit. And, and of course, occasionally I got paid for, for those efforts because if they were dressing me up and catching a big piece of me as my back was to the camera, but I was delivering lines to one of the guest actors, then yeah. often they, would, they would pay me as an actor, which was fabulous. Absolutely. This was uh, Michael Shanks's outing as director. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't remember that, but yes, that, I think you're right. Yeah. 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 That's his show. That was in, uh, oh, there's. Season four. End of season yes. four. Yeah. There's yeah. Dom. That's a, yeah. That's just a fabulous photograph. I have it, I think, glued inside a. A uh, cookbook that Dom had put out, um, <laughs> along with his autograph. Yeah. yeah, great guy. Uh yes. Yeah, so that's, uh, I believe, at that point, Richard was a general. Perhaps I can't remember. I've, is that I've seen colonels? Um, I think if I'm right about this, this is uh, uh, between two fires in season five when they're just getting back from Tolana. So because this is the outfit that he wore after Omak's funeral. Oh, okay. So still a colonel at that point. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Is it, who is this down here? Uh, is, is, um, uh, Mr. Menard. Oh, Jim Menard. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Very good. So he was probably DOPing at that point. Yeah. Director of photography. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And of course there's Peter. Ah. Who I've run into occasionally, um, in the last few years, uh, for different reasons. I, I had the opportunity to, to be Amanda Tapping's dead husband <laughs> on, on Sanctuary. So, Bill, how would you like to be Amanda's dead husband? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny because I was lying on the floor. I remember, it, I believe it was at that same Norco studio that we had used on, on Stargate. And uh, uh so I'm lying on the floor, the camera's on my face, and I'm supposed to be dead. I've got major scars along the side of my neck uh, where some monster has clawed me to death. And and, uh, and Peter's directing, and he's giving me grief because he can, he can see a little flicker under my eyelids. Plus, he can see the vein in my forehead throbbing. Yeah, exactly. Bill, Bill I want you to stop that vein. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. It's autonomic, yeah. sir. That's yeah. funny. This is uh, this, never mind. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> this is one of my favorite human beings. Period. Yes. Right there. So. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. It's very important to me. Just a great guy. Yeah, and a Vancouver resident still, I believe. Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. So this is one of um, my favorite sequences uh, from season one, and I always wanted to know how this was achieved. And here you've given me a photo, and this is really cool. So what are you doing? So I'm, uh, my hand is sticking up through that table, uh, and oh, sorry, yeah, my hand is. It's your knuckle, yeah. It's your it's your hand, it's, and then the my arm whole hand is, and, yeah, yeah. And the wristwatch is. I, I don't want to you know divulge all the magic here, but the wristwatch is hiding the joint the between my hand and the prosthesis they were using. So Richard has like a box cutter or a surgical knife of some kind, and he's. He's slicing open his forehand to reveal, I believe, a bunch of uh, mechanics in there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sort of bio, bio uh, mechanical stuff, right? So, um, yeah, it was, it was a fairly um, interesting 
cheat. I mean, uh, we've got Richard there wielding the knife. We've got my hand sticking through there, twitching and doing whatever. And then there's the prosthetic that was created for the scene that's actually being sliced open. So, uh, Were you yeah. controlling the, the servos that were moving inside of the arm as well? Or was that all... Done. No, that was all done remotely. I wow. can't remember how I did that, but uh, the only thing I controlled there was my finger movement. <laughs> so right. yeah, make it look. There's a little bit of yeah, yeah. It's amazing the sleight of hand that is that is is done in Hollywood and in projects like this when you just you know put your mind to it. We can you can pull it off fifty different ways. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, that's wild. So thank you for that. This is this is this is really cool stuff. Yeah, I wonder where. Uh, that's... This is the other guy, season six. Okay, yeah, that was uh, at our desert planet location, which was uh, just south of Vancouver. Actually, it's a a place called Lulu Island um, in Richmond. The suburb's called Richmond, and uh, yeah, there's actually some sand dunes there. Don't know if they still exist. No, uh... they. Uh, my understanding was they were they were reduced season over season until basically they were a postage stamp. And yeah. there was only so much you could do with it. But I was curious as to, so Lulu Island was the location. Okay. Yes, that's right. And it's, it's more commonly, I mean, a lot of people don't know the name Lulu Island, but that's what it's officially called. But it's part of the the city of Richmond, which is where the airport is for Vancouver and okay. just directly south. So that, that sand dune is where my dad used to drive with our little Volkswagen Beetle back when I was about six years old to gather sand for our sandbox in our... <laughs> at our home in South Vancouver. So <laughs> my, my memories of that sand dune go way back. <laughs> the Warrior, season five. Yes. And man, you I, look like him. That is yeah, that that well, you, you know, sell that, man. Well, you know, with the with the hat and the glasses and everything else and and the wardrobe, that's Bev fixed, by the way, over my, behind there in the background. Yes. Okay. Um, and then I don't recall who that is with the cell phone. Uh, it's a Jaffa, so it's an extra. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's, it's either a performer or, or, or a background performer, probably a background performer. But I think it's pretty funny that he's got a, a cell phone in his hand. <laughs> Reminds me of the time I was in Rome where I saw these gladiators who, you know, posed for tourists and they were taking a coffee break and they had a cigarette and cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about as strange as when I saw captain kirk at comic-con with a cell phone on his ear and i had to get a picture of him because i was like that's your fault that that exists right. <laughs> it was it wasn't actually shatner but it was someone who was dressed like him and looked a lot like him yeah also, so some of my oh yeah there we are same yes yeah, so probably the same day and uh direct or the first idea in that episode and of course that's peter deloise who's directing um but off to my my right in the background is alex um in the pink? Alex, yes, in the pink. Uh, I've forgotten his last name. I think it was like Karis uh, or something, a Greek a Greek last name. Okay. Yeah, yeah this is um, uh, the easy stick boy scene um, with, uh, I forget the actor's name, but we, we lost him uh, in the last uh, couple of years. He's no longer uh, with us. His name is not coming to me right now. But um, And uh, Peter also set up a, he, he took inspiration from The Matrix to create this this uh, shot uh, with with him and Christopher fighting at the end. Um, that was Rick Worthy's episode. So okay, hang on one second. I've lost your uh, your screen share. So let me just have a uh -oh. quick look here to see what's going on. I think let's. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Hmm. Um, let me try it again. Yeah. Can you see me? I don't see you either. Oh yeah, there you are. Okay, there we okay go. great. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. We're good. Yeah. So that was really yeah. that was really a cool sequence because you had Rick Worthy and Christopher, and, and Rick did most of his own martial arts for that. Um, and then they had mm -hmm. the camera just around this disc. So yeah, yeah, and the disc was moving. Um, yeah, it was very interesting that scene actually. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of my favorite moments from Atlantis. This is the return part two, and Jack has to save. Um, the Atlantis team, uh, and in order to do that, he goes for a little swim. Tell us your memories of this sequence. Yeah, so I was uh, that that was out at the University of British Columbia, UBC, in their marine engineering building, where they had this large tank where they could build scale models of vessels and other things, and uh, and that's that's where this was shot. So and I, as it happens, I was already a. Um, 
a library school student at that point. I started a second master's degree in uh, at the age of 50 in 2006. And um, I got three days, though, uh, and I think they paid me as a stunt performer on that show. As it turns out, Richard did all of his own underwater stuff, swimming and, and holding his breath and so on and so forth. And, and so I spent most of my time just hanging out, watching, and I had this camera with a dive housing so i've got lots of great <laughs> photographs and and some video as well actually and i believe martin wood was directing that episode so yeah it was it was just fascinating watching how that was being done there were all obviously lots of technical challenges to to deal with when you're when you've got cameras being submerged and and actors who are holding their breath absolutely so, it's a whole complicated yeah. process yeah yeah so I, was, I, I was lucky because i had um quite a bit of experience doing recreational scuba diving. So, so hence the, the call to come and, and photo double and, and perhaps even stunt double Richard. Um, that worked out well for me as well in a show that I acted on called First Target, um, okay. starring Daryl Hannah. And in that show, I get wooed by a beautiful woman. She's an assassin. Um, of course, then, they always are. Yeah. <laughs> who then drugs me after I get to kiss her, or maybe it's somewhere. Anyways, drugging, kissing, and then I get knocked off my my boat and drowned by my head being shoved under the water. Oh my so, god! Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a lot of fun. First target, and that's one of the bigger acting roles I've had. And and by big, I mean like six lines. It was it was it wasn't much, but but a lot of fun. So yeah, hey, sometimes uh, your recreational pursuits can come in handy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when it comes to, to doing stuff like this. Speaking of. Ah, yes. Recreational pursuits. That, that, that was probably two or three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Just wow. uh, doing a few mild wing overs um, using a, one of my favorite go-to cameras. Now it's the Insta 360. I'm going to throw in a little advertisement there. The Insta 360. Yeah. yeah Cause it's just, it's, it's so steady. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing because it literally shows you the whole world and, and in these shots here, I've got the camera on a selfie stick uh, shoved into my leg strap. You can occasionally you can see a shadow from the selfie stick on on my leg. Yeah, there's one right there. You can see it right over yeah. my right leg. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's my playground in North Vancouver. Uh, lots of interesting times over there. It's beautiful. It's just absolutely yes. beautiful. Yes, Happy Canada Day. Yeah, that was just. Uh, <laughs> <in July. laughs> yeah. uh. Thank you so much for sharing these with me. These are um, these are are really cool to. Uh, oh, yeah, to, my pleasure. See. And uh, you know, there's um, so many people are are responsible for um, bringing this show uh, to life on a um, uh, on on a regular basis. And you never think, you know, that it takes. Uh, a village some th as many uh, as big a village as it does but you know you're all key players in in bringing this thing to life and uh yeah i mean it, it, it becomes a, it becomes a community it's yes. uh, you, you spend so much time there that you get to know people pretty well sometimes and and a lot of the time especially from a stand-in's point of view is is kind of not really downtime but you have time to stand on the sidelines and quietly chat with somebody and and uh yeah and it was that it was the kind of show where people stuck around too they weren't just there for the day um uh, they would be there. some of them were there for i think probably the entire 10 seasons i was there for five seasons um and some of the people that were on stargate had worked on macgyver many years mm -hmm. previously so it's it's a really really wonderful situation to be in and, and uh, you find a lot of support there sometimes for things that are going on in your personal life um back in 2003 i was diagnosed with prostate cancer so you know it was uh something that i was kind of dragging around in my psyche when i went to work and and i mean fortunately for me there were there were people there who were uh willing to listen to you know some of my fears and anxieties etc and and uh so yeah it becomes almost like family actually when you're working on a, a series that goes on for so long well congratulations on on beating that man. yeah thank that you is, yeah Nice to still be here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have some fan questions. <laughs> Raj Luth wrote, what did you enjoy most about working on SG-1, and what episodes are you a fan of most? 
Well, you know, like I mentioned, window of opportunity for sure, because it was so much fun to, <laughs> to work on um, Ergo, Dom DeLuise. And I still have a, a call sheet from, from a day, I think it was a second unit day, where Dom was, I think, number one in the call sheet, and I was number two, or vice versa. I can't remember, but I was pretty thrilled about that. Uh, man, there was just so many moments. Um as for a favorite moment, I don't know if I really have a, or what did I like best about it? I mean, here's something that's rather uh, kind of prosaic, really. It, it, it was a, a pleasure to work on the show in part because it ran like clockwork. I mentioned that there were people there who'd been on there forever. And we had um, really great producers like John Smith, who, who kept things going in a relaxed way, but very, very efficient. So we never worked more than 12 hours, uh, unlike a lot of shows, including MacGyver, where quite often you'd be working fratter days. And, and fratter day is the, the industry term for, for what happens. Yeah. So typically what happens on a show is you start at 7 a.m. on Monday. And because of turnaround rules and so on, if you go deeply into overtime on Monday, you're going to be starting later on Tuesday. And then you go into more overtime on Tuesday. Before you know it, you know, 7 a.m. on Monday becomes 8 or 9 a.m. on Tuesday. And then by the time Friday rolls around, you're starting at 1 p.m. and finishing at 4 in the morning. So there goes there goes a large portion of your weekend. So, so yeah, one of the things I like best about Stargate was that um, I could be home every evening. You know, it, uh, it it's it's actually worth a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It yeah. is to your sanity yeah. and, and to having a life out. Work-life balance is very important. Yeah. So yeah, I've been trying to do were... that to myself for, for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. so. And, you know, there were no prima donnas on the show. Like everybody, no. you know, really, really was leaving their ego sometimes parked at home. You know, yeah. Rick, was, Mike, really... the producer, they wouldn't allow it. Yeah. Yeah. And there yeah. were just some fantastic people to work with. Um, because I was often doing off camera lines, I had the chance to work with Amanda delivering Richard's lines to her. And she's just the sweetest person. To, to work with really, really professional and, and just, just really lovely to be around. So, I mean, and there are lots of examples of, of people like that crew and cast alike on, on Stargate. Absolutely. Teresa MC, are you a sci-fi fan? And if so, what are your favorites? Wow. Hmm. Not so much a sci-fi television fan, but I, I, I read a lot as you okay. might imagine having had a, a, a well, late in life career as a librarian behind you. Oh Absolutely. yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There's, there's still a lot of print back there. I do have a Kindle. It's it's hiding here somewhere. <laughs> uh, there it is. There's my Kindle. It rarely gets cracked. Um, uh, so sci-fi. I mean, I just recently read. Where is it? It's here somewhere. Uh, is that the, the celebration Mid- of ten years book? Uh, oh yeah, I got that here. Yeah, that's yep. the ten years. Yeah, I have I one myself. It's a great to, book. Uh, I, got that, I, I got that out to remind myself uh, of some of the episodes that we worked on. Absolutely. Um, 1969 right there. Um, but I recently read Midnight, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, which is, uh, I would call it sci-fi. So I highly recommend, recommend that book to anybody okay. who's interested. And what's interesting about that book is it, it's about possibilities. What might have happened if this life had occurred rather than, than the one that we started with here at the beginning of Matt Haig's book. So um, it's, it's almost like a butterfly effect kind of story but it's definitely sci-fi uh highly recommend that so wow, but yeah okay. i don't watch a lot of sci-fi but uh occasionally i'm you know uh, apple tv plus uh for all mankind i i love um, i've heard it's good my yeah. dad wants to watch it so we're probably going to get yeah. it at some point yeah absolutely lock watcher wants to know what was there a difference between your days when you worked as a photo double rather than on screen as Vern? and what was a typical day for you like well, typically I was working as a stand-in, okay. and so essentially a crew member. Okay. So, uh, you know, you're making the stand-in's wage, which isn't huge. It's, uh, I can tell you right now, it's currently at around 27 or $28 an hour Canadian. So in real money, that's probably only about 20 bucks an hour. Real money. But, it's all fake yeah. now. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah the, so, the stand-ins, you know, there's, there's a uh, can Please continue. Oh yeah, no, you're about to say. Well, uh, I mean, there's there's so much that you have. You guys are responsible for helping to light the set. You know, you're you're there before the the actors show up so that everything uh, is is configured properly. There's a lot that just that goes into that. You know, so I was yeah. So to, yeah, 
was going to say, typically for a stand and what happens is the actors will be brought in to block the scene, which means they run through it a couple of times. Um, the directors, they're watching closely. And then as the scene is blocked, uh, the camera assistants start putting down tape on the floor or colored sandbags if they're outdoors, uh, marking where the actors are moving to within the shot. And once everybody's happy with, with that, then the first team goes away, the first team being the actors, and then the, the AD will call for second team. And and to this day, if I hear second team somewhere, like if I'm uh, working on uh, uh, a project somewhere and I hear second team, I'm, I'm jumping and wondering if I should be hopping. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so second team takes over, they they stand on the marks, uh, and then the the camera guys and and uh, the lighting guys, they, they basically adjust everything uh, to make it look good for you know half hour down the road or whatever time it takes to set things up and then they they get rid of the second team first team comes in they shoot the scene and then it all happens all over again uh throughout the day so that's that's typical for for a a stand-in now uh when i was working as as Vern alberts uh it was it was like cinderella right so all of a sudden i have I've got, I've got a dressing room, you know, <laughs> with Alberts on the door, you know. Uh, <laughs> people will hand me a bottle of water, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah you're, so it you're really, on... it really was like, like, like being Cinderella, right? Like you. Uh, the technicians yeah. were important, you know. They they made it spin, and yeah. you know, because spinning is so much better than not spinning. So, yeah, you know, there were lots of times where I, where I was hoped I was thinking maybe I should just lurk outside the studio here and kneecap Gary Jones so that uh, I'm on the show <laughs> more regularly. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. <laughs> oh, that's funny. There is so much work that goes into uh, being there to to shoot all of those close ups with your hands. You know, a lot of the business that's being done, you know, I su suspect in MacGyver for that year, there was a lot of that because he's constantly working on something. And so, yeah, there, there was a lot of that. So, yeah. so you're, you're watching quite often the, the, the master has already been shot. And then the second unit, which is another film crew, will pick up stuff like uh, inserts. So close ups mm -hmm. of hands and that sort of thing. Um, or the back of MacGyver's head as he driving the Jeep, as I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um Interestingly, my hands don't look anything like Richard's, but uh, whatever. They, they decided that they did. Yeah. Um, and and I recall one instance, and I can't recall now who was directing the second unit uh, that day, but it was a promo that they were doing for MacGyver where he's touching some electrical wires to something, and there's like a light bulb that just suddenly explodes. And... Um, and this is uh, in the days prior to video. It was all being shot on 35 millimeter film. So it would take a long time. And, 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 and it was, there was no CGI. We're talking 1987, right? So, yeah. so uh, you know, I, I'd done a lot of photo doubling at that point. But for some weird reason, I misanticipated the, the, the contact of the wires with this device. And I didn't react until like a pretty much a full second after it exploded. And and the director was just I, I wouldn't say livid, but he was like rolling his eyes and talking. How? What? I mean, uh, like, how's it that you couldn't react? <laughs> yeah. So to this day, this is like how many years later? I mean, like thirty something years it later. It still bothers you. Yeah, it still bothers me. Yeah, those, those you can't you can't fire on every cylinder every single time. Your entire you know the, every, sooner or later, there's going to be something like what's like. Yep, I screwed up. You know, so what do you yeah, do I mean, again? It, Can we do it again? Yeah, I mean, it's just, so. yeah. So it's uh, yeah. There's a, there's stuff that goes into jobs like photo doubling that people don't that aren't really you know, people aren't aware of. Even even standing in, I mentioned standing on the tape, but it's actually it's more than that. You're watching the action as the actors are rehearsing the shot, and tape is going on the floor. You, the stand-in, are supposed to be watching what the actors are doing. Which hand did they use to open that door? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, so um, when they are rehearsing with the second team, just before they bring first team back in again, they want to make sure that they're, they're doing the right camera moves. And if you haven't been paying attention as a stand-in and you're able to replicate what they had established, uh, not on tape, but in the rehearsal while they're blocking, then, then you're not doing your job. Right. So those are, those are some things that, uh, 
um, you know, people aren't aware of. A lot of people will do a stand-in job without really knowing what's entailed, and they'll fail miserably because they they just don't pay attention. And yeah, you got to be watching because you're you're mimicking. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right, yeah. Bill, this has been. Um, a, a real treat to to have you. I uh, likewise same here. Yeah. Uh, you, you've you've provided a lot of uh, fun stories, and it's it's always fun watching your stuff on on Instagram. Um, keep sailing. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know you only live once, so yeah, it's, it's yeah. awesome that you have those passions. You remind me a lot of Cliff Simon. Yeah, yeah, that's I did a lot of that. He was an amazing individual, actually. And so yeah. sorry what happened there. Yeah, he Absolutely. was a kite surfer, right? Yeah, it's something I haven't yes. done. Yeah, he um, was kite surfing. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if if in the scheme of things, you know, if we have a choice on, on how we're going to, you know, uh, live our, our last day um, and we, we know we've got to go out, I wouldn't be surprised if I would pick something like that myself. So as long as I'm not taking yeah. anyone else with me. So yeah, that's the important exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, getting back to Matt Haig's book, uh, Midnight Library, it's all about regrets. Yes, and not having regrets, and and that's, I think, in many ways, the way I think an ideal life is led is to to lead it in such a way that you anticipate those, you know, the end, which is going to occur with all of us, and, and and the anticipation is that you won't have any regrets. So that's what I encourage people to. Uh, to do when they're making those day-to-day decisions. <laughs> Absolutely. Bill, thank kind you. Of somber, kind of a somber no, note. But, but it's, <laughs> you were a part of a great show. You know, you, you, uh, you have some, some beautiful memories to carry with you. And I really appreciate your, your show and tell with the, with the photos today and sharing some of your stories. Well, and thank you so much for having me and, and uh, hi to everybody out there. And thank you guys all for tuning in. Thank you, sir. You take care of yourself. Okay. Yeah, you too. Take care. Be Bye. Well, Bill. Bye-bye. Bill Nikolai, technician Vern Alberts on Stargate SG-1. Um, There are so many people who are responsible in bringing the show to life and it's such a privilege every week to to be able to uh, bring them on and and discuss the show uh, with them. My name is David Reed for Dialogate. I really appreciate you tuning in. Eric Avari is going to be joining us momentarily here. Um, my tremendous thanks to uh, my production team, Linda Gategabber Fury, uh, my moderators, Summer, Tracy, uh, Jeremy, Reese, and Anthony for continuing to back me behind the scenes here. Frederick Marku at Concepts Web. He's our web developer at Dial the Gate. He keeps uh, everything up and running. We're going to churn these out for a little while longer here. We're going to, uh, since the writers and actors strike is going on, you know, a lot of these, behind, especially the behind the scenes people, have a little bit more availability. And and um, I'm appreciative to them for coming on. So that's what we've got for you for this episode. Eric Avari is coming up soon, so stay with us. Again, my name is David Reed for Dial the Gate, and we will see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com.